This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hello and welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Emma Benner, and today I'm sharing episode 84 with Gabby Rodriguez. Gabby is a certified gender professional, Venezuelan lawyer, and a social economy specialist. She is also the founder and chair of the Amazona Foundation, which works on deconstructing harmful traditional gender roles that are attributed to men, women, and people of gender and sexual diversities in society. Through the Amazona Foundation, she hosts monthly events to build community around gender equality, raises awareness around gender equality, and advises other clients on the creation and implementation of their gender diversity and inclusion plan for their programs. I love getting to chat with Gabby and hear her perspective on so many different topics and hear how we can all work to deconstruct harmful traditional gender roles in our own communities. So let's get right into my conversation with Gabby Rodriguez. Well, today on the Illuminate podcast, I am so excited to be interviewing Gabby Rodriguez. Welcome to the show, Gabby. Thank you very much, Emma. Nice to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we just kick it off in the best way possible and you just (laughs) introduce yourself, catch the listeners up and tell us who you are. Awesome. Um, So I am a Venezuelan immigrant in the United States. And I am also the founder and chair of a nonprofit organization based in Washington, D.C. The name of the organization is Amazona Foundation. It's an it's Spanglish uh, name. So basically, we're working on gender equality. That's why it's called Amazona, like the Amazon's warrior in the, in the Greek mythology. And we're building a community around gender equality. At the same time, we're empowering Hispanic women in the DMV because we want to amplify the voices of Hispanic immigrants as myself. And when I say that we're building community around gender equality, I mean that we're reflecting on gender in community, right? Um, we want to have the opportunity to reflect on the different topics that are included in gender, but what that communities may not know, may not know that we're speaking about it. So yeah, that's what I do at this point. Um, I am also a Venezuelan lawyer, but I, since I left the country, I am basically working as a consultant. So that's, that's what I do. And that's the way I will describe today. Awesome. So you, are you doing the consulting on top of the nonprofit work or is the nonprofit work more of your full time? Yeah, no, the, the nonprofit is more about my full time job at this point. Um, but I do offer like consulting services for organizations. Uh, for example, this uh, March, because it's the Women's Month as well, mm-hmm. not only the International Women's Day, we're going to be uh, hosting some trainings for um, some companies in El Salvador and in Venezuela, um, because it, the, the, the topic is too um, 
little explored in, 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 in Latin America or when we speak about equality, we're just speaking about gender-based violence and it's much, it's, it's more than that. So, um, the consulting services are, is something additional. But at this point, my full-time job, like my everyday is full with the Amazon Foundation agenda. Oh, awesome. And can you tell us more about the story behind the foundation? How did it come about? Like what led to you seeing a need for it to be created? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, so the story behind is that even, even if I study law in Venezuela, I think I always had this passion about social issues. Um, but at the time, I mean, when I was in college, I remember speaking with my dad, who, who was um, a politician and a doctor, and I said about like doing something related to social work, and his words uh, were something translate, translated from Spanish, something equivalent like, um, you know, Gabby, social, social things don't, don't, don't pay the bills. Um, and I was like, okay, dad, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So I will be working as a lawyer and then I will volunteer my whole life. That's it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because that's what I was doing at the time. And, and it was great, but also I wanted to do something else. I mean, something bigger than just volunteering for just a few hours, um, during the month. And I also wanted to have the creative, um, liberty or freedom, the creative freedom to, to lead an organization, right? To say, this is what I think we should do and actually implement it. Mm-hmm. So at that time I was like, I don't know, maybe 17. And, um, I like finished my law degree. I then moved to Paris and I was in an environment where social issues are part of the, of the dinner conversation, right? So you're going to speak about the differences between religions. You're going to be speaking about abortion. You're going to be speaking about uh, trans people in a very normal and, and, and non-judgmental way to say it, um, to frame it in a, in, a, in a simple way. So when I was living in Paris, it was like the paradise for me in the sense of I had the freedom to actually express myself through social issues. I didn't have to wear this hat of I need to be a lawyer and be productive and be successful so I can do my social things like in my, in my, in my leisure time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, incorporate a nonprofit in, in France because I was an immigrant. It's super complex to navigate the legal system in the country. Um, I, I had um, a visa at the time. And it's, it's, it was just like too complex to create a company or an organization without being a national. Um, so I don't know, like maybe in th- two years after that, I finished my master's degree in social economy. I started a relationship with my, my husband who was living in Caracas at the time. And he was forced into exile in the, to, to the United States. And when it came to the States, we were just like looking um, for professional opportunities for me. And I found this amazing internship um, at the Organization of American States. For those who don't know, it's an international organization who works, uh, which works on democracy, human rights, and human development in the Americas. So uh, basically the whole region, right? And that was nice. I mean, you read the paper, you read the numbers, you 
find out, like, I found out that there was this huge gender gap in terms of numbers. It's, it was not only in politics, but also in companies. And that mm. was something that I didn't really see when I was living in my home country. And it's sad to admit it, but it's the truth. Um, so when I saw those numbers, I felt like super uncomfortable about it. And I was like, why nobody's doing anything about it? And that was not the right question. I mean, there is a lot of people, there are a lot of people doing something about gender inequality, about um, racial uh, justice, about sexual and reproductive rights. I was the one <laughs> who was not doing something about it because I, I hadn't had, I hadn't recognize a problem at that time. So I remember that I wanted, I wanted to work in a nonprofit when I was 17. I remember that I had this huge passion about social things, uh, social topics, and that I couldn't actually do something about it in Paris. And for me, like being in the States, this was the moment because the legal system to create a company is way easier than in France. So I decided to do it. And then like everything fell into, into place when I realized like, the same experiences that I had when I was little, and when I say little, I mean, I mean, like when I was um, in in college, so like around seventeen, nineteen. Yeah. Um, um, I I had this trans trans woman who was my 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 civil law professor, and she was the first person speaking about gender equality for me. But at that time, I was like trying to absorb her reality, just like oh, this is this is the, the challenges that a trans person face. And the truth is that, and, and I find a lot of people who, thinks the, who think this way today, it's not about them and about us. This is happening to all of us, but we just don't have the, the awareness to identify how gender is impacting our lives. So when I was here in DC and I saw those numbers, I was able to match the information that I received when I was 19 from this law professor with my current experiences, like um, being in a toxic relationship um, with a partner who was like dealing with a toxic masculinity, um, being a, a survivor of, of, of a sexual assault, and all those things are related to gender. So when I, I figured out like these all have the same root causes, I was like, this is it. I need to create a foundation. I need to speak about gender and this is the place to do so. So it's a long, it's a long answer, but this was a process of probably, um, I don't know, maybe more than a decade. So yeah, that, that's, that's probably the, the story behind it. Wow, that's a powerful story leading to creating this foundation. So it took a whole de decade to create the foundation or um, you created it kind of right away and then that was the events to follow? I created uh, probably with the first salary I, I got in the United States. So the decade, it's more, it's more about the process of um, taking the decision that I, that's something that I wanted to do in an organization. Because when I was 17, I was volunteering for um, other nonprofits in Venezuela related to HIV, AIDS, um, um, boys living in, in foster care uh, mm -hmm. homes. So that was like, it was like I was walking, um, uh, walking around without even knowing where I was going. And when I 
left the country and then I spent like three or four years out of Venezuela and I got to the States, it was that that was the moment where I said, okay, this is it. Before that, I, I can't say like I was totally conscious about what I wanted to do at the time. Yeah, it's really so amazing to see when someone is passionate about something and sees a problem and doesn't just sit back and and think about it and get frustrated by it and actually does something like yeah. you did and put it in action. So can you talk more in depth about the programs and campaigns and advocacy that you do to challenge this di discrimination? Yeah, so um, the, the, the other piece of information is like it's very different to be a Latina in your home country, a Latina in Europe, and a Latina in the United States. Um, I don't think that's a new piece, uh, like new information for anyone. Uh, but I, I did realize that it was important for me to speak from um, my experience as an immigrant. Uh, because this is a complex, uh, a complex and a sensitive topic in the United States for, for several reasons. Um, and I think it's easier for me to create a space first for Hispanics to understand about why it's important to have, uh, a vice president who is not only a woman, but a woman with a, um, with a, a cultural background that makes not only uh, African Americans and, and Asian, but also who is the daughter of immigrants, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and and sometimes it's it's hard because you you're gonna hear something like, oh, it's because she's a woman, and and the answer is just like, oh, do you have time for a coffee? Uh, let's talk about this <laughs> <laughs> right. because it otherwise it's like too confrontational to to actually. Mm -hmm say to someone like she's a qualified politician mm -hmm. and yeah. she has a, his a history just like you do and and it's actually very important to have the representation of a woman with her background in the vice presidency and I'll tell you why so what we do is exactly the same like it's like I invite a coffee for 10 or 20 people per month oh yeah <laughs> Just to have this conversation about topics that, um, in 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 our in our perception or view, it's like people are too sensitive or they are exaggerating, and the 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 reality behind that position is that we don't have the whole story. I don't have it either, but I'm pretty sure that I'm looking for answers. Um, so what I do, like in 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 the in the in a monthly basis is to create digital content so they can start speaking about these things example speaking about racism in in latin america it's a whole different world because we were taught that um racism is not a thing that we are a beautiful melting pot so this is something that happens in united states because uh Americans are too politically correct. And then you have these sensitivities. And when you study history and you realize that uh, the beginning of the story, for example, in Venezuela, starts with the colonization. And there is no criticism be behind that. We celebrate, like October 12th, we celebrate that we were discovered by the Spanish. And this is like... <laughs> Let's talk about this because right. um, we were not taught that 
the, the, the African diaspora was brought into this continent in a criminal way. Uh, that this was um, a violent, violation of their human rights. That they were treated as, as, as objects, as merchandise. Uh, so we don't speak about the, the genocide of, of African communities. And at the same time, we don't even speak about our own native uh, Venezuelans. I mean, you will think, maybe, not, not you, but people would think about um, Latin Americans and, and native in the region as indigenous people. But if you see the population in Venezuela, for example, you're going to have like 3% of our population is indigenous people. Um, and the answer for that is that there, there was a genocide in my country as well. But we are taught in the school that it was a great thing that we were discovered by the Spanish. And, um, and at the same time, I think we need to create the space to discuss those things. Uh, so that's what we do on a monthly basis. And on a yearly basis, we host, uh, training to this, uh, to, to the, um, uh, Hispanic migrant community and particularly for women, because I think it's important for us to not only amplify your, our voices, but at the same time to lead an agenda that reflects our interests and, and our realities. Um, so this year, I think the training is going to be more focused about um, how we can actually have access to funds because it's beautiful to lead a project, even to run for office, but you need to get the funds mm -hmm. somewhere. And if you're in a community who is struggling to having to, uh, having access to employment because of, of legal restrictions, or if you come from a family who was not, um, wealthy in your home country or even in the United States, if you are a, a second or third, um, uh, immigrant, uh, generation immigrant, mm -hmm. you need to actually, um, work differently with, 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 uh, with accessing funds. So it's, it's related to the relationship we have with money. It's related to the networks we create in the United States. And it's also related to the way we um, have something to contribute to this country from our own perspective. How can we add value to the United States? And I'm spe specifically working with first generation immigrants because that's, there are other like differences um, between the experiences, right? Um, so at this point, we're more focused about the, the training, the monthly gatherings, and, and we're starting to actually conduct some survey, survey about, um, poverty period in, in Venezuela. And, uh, and we're, we're exploring the opportunity to actually create a communication campaign about Hispanics, immigrants around the world. Um, because migration is a normal part of our society and of our history. And I think it's important to start hearing their voices and their contributions instead of having this narrative of like, how did you get to this country? Do you have papers? Are you an undocumented? Uh, are you poor? It's like, those are situa situations that can happen to any human being. And the fact that you have someone who may have a different cultural background, it could be actually very positive to the countries. Um, so I want to highlight these uh, contributions to to the host countries, if that makes any sense. Oh, 
yeah, that is just amazing work. And can you touch on more about something you mentioned was that it's different to be a Latina in your home country, in France, in the United States. Can you expand on that more and talk about those differences? Okay. Um, yeah, sure. I, I hope I, um, I explain myself correctly with this point. Um, so when you're in a, in your home country, you're the average citizen. I mean, you're going to face inequality and discrimination related to your own circumstances, but you belonged to that place. Like nobody's going to question your identity, right? Uh, nobody's going to, um, assume that you may have somewhere, somewhere else to be because that's your country. Um, so that's the first thing, the first feeling. And the other thing is like the way that we perceive immigrants change a lot depending on the history of each country. Um, so because in France, even if you have Latinos or Hispanics, um, we were not the, the biggest, uh, immigrant population. The biggest immigrant population came from, um, Africa and, and Arabs countries like, um, uh, I don't remember the names in English. Oh my God. Like Morocco or, right, yeah. Um, yeah. So, and they have their own history of colonization as well. So the biggest challenges in France as an immigrant were, um, were there for citizens from those countries. So as a Latina, I was just a random immigrant, but I was not making too much noise because I, we're like very few. And if, if you're gonna get there is because at least you're gonna, um, it depends obviously, but in my case, at that time, I, I had a profession. I, I, I went with a specific visa. I was there to study. And I actually sp spoke the language at that time. So the barriers were like, the barriers were there, but they were like way softer for me. And then when I got to the States, I started to hear all these labels. And then I, I, it's like, as soon as I got here, I became a minority and I was a minority in France, but they don't use that language. I became brown. So suddenly the color of my skin was relevant. And that's something that I hadn't experienced before coming to the States. And at the same time, um, it's, it's very important for me, like my language, obviously, because it's related to my family history, my emotions, my, my life. So for me, the, the Spanish is just like a beautiful thing that I want to embrace. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you have tried this, uh, clubhouse app which is actually great. I have not. I've heard about it, but I don't really know much about it. <laughs> you, you can, it's, you, you must give it a try because it's, it's like you can, um, have access to a whole world just by being in, on your phone and you're going to be present in, um, live conversations about different people. So when I, I started to hear the experiences of, uh, Hispanics in the United States. And I say Hispanics because it's for me super difficult to accept the Latin X because in my mind, in my Spanish mind, doesn't make any sense. I understand the concept and I think it's 
actually very reasonable to use it. But for me, I am a Latina. And before, and actually before coming to the state, I was not a Latina, I was Venezuelan. And so those, those layers of identities are just like codes you start to wear when you understand that you need to present yourself in a way that other people can just like, um, understand where you're at. And, 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 and the, the problem probably with that is that you ended in, in a box. Um, so I, I've been surprised at the, the amount of times that I, I, I ask, I, I am asked or, or someone in my, in my close network, like, how did you get to the country? How did you get to the country? And it's just like, I, I don't know what you're assuming, but it doesn't really matter. Right. <laughs> um, so those, and those things are related to the experience and, and about how countries have managed, like well managed or poor managed the integration of migrants and nationals, which once again, it could be a beautiful contribution and, and, and a great benefit for both. But because this uh, um, bridge has, hasn't been built, we have like these separated wars where mm. we are in different categories. And, and, and in France, I, I am not their biggest problem. I'm just one Latina in a huge, in, in a huge universe of migrants that they have different positions about it. And in the United States, I'm a Latina. I'm on, I don't know, 11 or millions of undocumented people. Mm-hmm. And these have like a different, um, a different, uh, perspective and repercussion and a different discussion in, in, in this country. So that was difficult for me to understand. Uh, and at the same time, I was like, okay, I have no idea what it means to be here and to have like probably parents who don't speak the language and who need me to learn English as fast as, as, as possible so I can, I don't know, help them with the taxes and with uh, legal forms or, for example, being um, one of the providers for my um, youngest uh, brothers or siblings, right? I, I don't have that experience. I don't have the experience of being bullied in school because I have a Hispanic background. So I know that those um, differences are there. I just want to say like, okay, this is where we at. What, what do we want to do with this? Where do you, where do we want to go as a society with this information? Like we all have different experiences. Uh, none of them are more important or less important than the others. I just want to recognize, acknowledge that we are all here with all, with our, all, um, with our processes where we can do something greater and more beautiful together. So let's find for a way to build bridges between all of us. Yeah, wow. I really appreciate you sharing that and sharing about your experience. And it is true. Just if we all unite and accept people, no matter their background, no matter where they're from, no matter really anything about them, it's just how much stronger we could be if we just united. And isn't that what's been really obvious the last yeah. couple of years? And um, especially this last year is just the importance that we need to reflect on, on our beliefs and reflect on what needs to change in our country to have more kindness and acceptance and unification of everyone. Um, so I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, kind of going off of that, 
you you talk a lot about um, like gender inequalities and traditional gender roles and everything. And what is the difference that you see in problems with um, gender discrimination and and harmful gender traditions and things like that? What are the differences that you see across cultures? Or is there really a cons- consistent problem with this? Um, I would say like the consistency is um, the fact that we are all f- dealing with gender inequality. Um, the difference is that we're not facing gender inequality in the same way. Um, so for example, if I, 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 I think like the base, the, the foundation of the whole inequality process is the education we receive. Um, so let's take the example of, um, um, sex education or sexuality education, if that's like more accurate. Um, when you tell a kid that there are just women and men, and this is the result of a biological, um, fact, you leave no room to recognize that you have intersex people. You leave no room to recognize that gender is a social construct and as such is, is dynamic. And you leave no room to um, make people understand that sexuality is something that you're going to be developing in your whole life. So, for example, in France, they are very open about sexuality. And in, in, in Venezuela, you will have sex education related to how you're going to have a baby. Uh, this is a male condom. And just close your legs. That's pretty much the information you have. And, um, and, and that's it. And, and if you, and I, I know that everything changes, uh, per state in the United States. And, and I understand that it depends on how, like, progressive or conservative, uh, is the, the state and the, 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 the school. Uh, but I understand that there is a fact of abs- abstinence. Is that the way, the right way to say it? In, uh, the United States, yeah. That is, pr- yeah. that is pretty much the ideal, idea that is, um, displayed in like sex education throughout high school. Yeah. So that's the foundation of it. But at the same time, you have references in this country of, um, more progressive legislations in terms of sexual and reproductive rights. For example, abortion is a crime in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. In France, you have access. You can, you may find like doctors who are opposed and, um, institutions that make uh, that that will add obstacles to have you access to um, to a safe abortion, but it's legal. And you have contra- uh, um, and you have a different legislation here depending on the state, right? But at least you have a reference in your country that some of the states have more progressive legislation. And it's the same with trans people. Like the 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 fact that you can actually make a transition in the United States is just like. Um, landing into Mars for Venezuelans. And so that it, there is no way that we can have a conversation about um, legislating for sa- accessing safe abortions in Venezuela. There is no way that we can speak about um, same-sex marriage. So all those things are legal. In France, it's completely legal and they have like a different way to approach sexuality. And, and when you understand sexuality as, as a major topic that it's uh, encompasses by 
um, biological sex, gender identity, sexual expression, sexual orientation. You, you understand, like, you have so many things to speak about it. At the same time, this concept is super important to speak about relationships, about consent, about how do you want to create a family? When do you want to do it? So the difference of, of, of the perspective that we have in sex education, for example, in these three countries, changed the whole narrative and the, sh the, the whole picture of the, of the gender inequality in each country. So you have, in this case, a lot of feminicides in Venezuela. You have like three or four per, um, every three days. The, the number may be wrong because they are increasing, but you don't have the same aggressive numbers in France. It doesn't mean that they are not there. It means like their way to solve problems is not through violence. The way that, um, that they, um, present women are not only as, as, um, objects of consumptions for males. Uh, so those things are important. And somewhere you will find like states in between these two positions in the United States, because first the country is huge. And, th and, and second, because as you know better than me, you have different positions, like more progressive and more conservative. And you have states who have more influence from, um, like more, diverse cultures and that's mm. that's something that plays a big role in, in gender inequality so then what are some actions we can take we can all take in our daily lives to help tackle some of these problems um i would say like a first action is to start being curious i mean i don't know everything I give myself the, um, the, the permission to keep learning about even the things I'm working today with gender inequality, but we all have opinions. And the thing is like, we all have opinions, we ha but we, we all don't take the time to actually read and, and justify that opinion. And when I say read, I'm speaking now about, uh, professional, and, and academic and, and, and like um, people who have an informed opinion. So not read it like from Facebook page mm -hmm. or uh, Reddit or just Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because when, when you say like educate yourself, I have no idea what sources th this person is using. So yes, go to the library and look for information about gender equality is a great way. I do a lot. I go a lot to the library in the United States and that's something that I didn't do in Venezuela. Um, so that's a great thing. And at the same time, when I say be curious, um, I'm thinking about asking other people about their ideas, their experiences. Once again, I have no idea what to, what is to be a uh, Latina or Latinx in the United States, but I can ask. I can ask, what is the difference? This, this is the way it was for me. How was for you? And just creating the, the room to have this conversation is a great first step. And the third, like, and I'm, I do focus a lot about communities because, um, I, I don't think like we can wait for governments, organizations Absolutely. and companies to solve our problems. Um, and the third thing is, um, become an ally doesn't mean like you're going to have the answers for everything or that you're going to be the one leading the conversation 
but you can definitely, definitely, uh, definitely open the space for someone uh, from a specific community to tell their truth to your friends, to your network, and and actually um, amplify their voices through like networking. Um, we need to tell the story to more people. So I really appreciate that you uh, are creating this space for me to share my story because otherwise, like. My, my immediate network is very, very, um, similar than I. Uh, so this is giving me the opportunity to, to actually present a different perspective to your, to your audience. So thank you very much. Yeah. I just appreciate you sharing it and being able to open all of our minds and open up the conversation to think about it. Um, and then I think something that's really important to changing like problematic things in our society is is like parenting and changing things for people at a younger age so how do you think gender roles and any sort of discrimination really what are your thoughts on that how can discrimination of any sorts of race or gender how can that be just deconstructed at a younger age as people grow up like what can adults do to ensure that the next generation is being educated and changing their ways Wow, that's that's a great and tough question. <laughs> because I I also know like there is a lot of mom shaming and that the it is a huge responsibility to raise a, a kid and um and I am not a mother, so <laughs> I want to be very cautious about that. But I think it's um it's very important to to allow yourself to question your beliefs. Um uh, I'll give you an example. So my mom is a big fan of dolls. Um, and she didn't think like I was, um, I was very into other toys. So I think I played Barbie until like 11 mm. when the conversation, the political conversation got so bad in my country that I switched to playing Barbies to speaking about politics with 11 years, which for me, it's like, these people stole my child, my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's, it's the way it is. Um, but I, I, today, it's difficult for me to understand that my mom didn't think about me playing with different toys. You know, gen- toys have no sex, no gender. But, uh, we tend to start like buying the same things. And I, I've tried, I've tried to go to a toy store. And you have everything classified by colors and it's organized by sex. So when you try to look for something neutral, you're going to spend like two or three times more just to try to, to, to find for a thing that doesn't have like a girl taking care of a baby or a gun with a little boy with uh, glasses, right? So it's just like, where are like the, the scientific toys? Where are the creative toys? Where, or how can I reflect on my experience about what did I play? For example, um, my husband has this great story about uh, when he wanted to play with a Barbie and his mom was like, okay, just take the Barbie. And that was it. So and my mom didn't have this idea, but she had the idea about giving me books. So there are a lot of books that, that are showing a different perspective. Um, I think we need more books in Spanish, <laughs> for sure. Um, so I found beautiful books about um, sexuality, gender, inclusion in English, and that's great. But if, if you're an immigrant and it's important for you to 
create this connection with with the Spanish or whatever language we speak, uh, I think it's actually very nice to buy for books from ki- to kids uh, in their languages so they can develop other ways to express themselves and 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 be close to other realities. So basically, toys have no sex. Buy some books and reflect on how you were raised because that's what I what's it's gonna that's is what it's gonna allow you to um do not replicate the same uh unconscious bias that you were taught when you were little we all have it i think we will still have it even if we make the greatest effort but we can improve and and we can allow the children to to make their thoughts and 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 to to grow in a more inclusive space so going off of that, do you on the top of your head remember some of the titles of those favorite book, those, some of those books that you were talking about? Yes. So uh, there is one that is from, um, I think, I don't know the name in English, um, uh, like the company that produces them. I don't know. In, in Spanish, it's editorial, but I don't know if uh, it's editorial in English. So from Little People, Big Dreams, you have this story of Simone de Beauvoir. She's a French author, and that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, book for girls. There is another one that I understand it has been banned in so many places in the United States because of its content. Um, The name is It's Perfectly Normal, um, and it's about sexuality in general. So the subtitle is something like Changing Bodies, Growing Up, Sex and Sexual Health. So that's, those two are like super nice. And, um, and there was a third one where, well, I will recommend two more in Spanish in case, um, someone in your audience wants to explore those topics. For sure. Um, so there is one which, uh, translate like Lilith treasure. So El Tesoro de Lilith. And it's a story about how to connect with, um, your body and periods for young girls. It's a very beautiful and, and like artistic way to present how your body is always speaking, not only during your period, but how it's like reflecting your, your internal, um, feelings and, and your world. So that's, that's very cute. That's probably for very young girls. And there is some information at the end of the book. And another one who is very nice and it's new is, um, Oh, what's the name? Uh, and th- that's for, <laughs> for, for, for Latin Americans or people who want to have other references in the region, like women references, is, uh, Venezuelan girls and women who dream to change the world and they did it. So, Venezuelanas que soñaron con cambiar el mundo y lo hicieron. And uh, that's a beautiful book. Awesome. Yeah, thank you for sharing those. And that leads really nicely into our end of podcast questions. So what is the best or most recent book that you have read? Huh. Um, so I was, the, the most recent book that I've read is about coaching because I am starting to become a life coach. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, so that's not a lot about gender equality, but it has a beautiful uh, meaning because uh, the book is uh, from Eckhart Tolle or Tolle, I don't know how to pronounce the name, and it's the power of now, and I like it because it's about a stop being 
in the future or in the past because at the end of the day those notions are gonna make you suffer in the sense of you cannot bring to life whatever that whatever happened in the past and and that creates sadness in your body and when you anticipate to something that it you have no idea if it happens because the only moment that we know is the present right i mean the future never comes every time that it's gonna it's gonna be here it becomes the present so yeah. um that anticipation creates a lot of anxiety in your body so i think it's a beautiful book um because at the end of the day it allows you to be here and now to enjoy the fact that i don't know i'm sitting in a bowl i'm speaking with emma on my phone this has been an amazing conversation and when you're present you have nothing to worry about because you're enjoying whatever you have in front of you and maybe you're going to be like okay but what about the the problems and and the concept of problems for him is like is it's like those are just vital situations just like situations that you have to deal with in your life but those are not your life I mean if you need to pay the rent at the end of the month that's something that it's on the table but your life is what you are actually experiencing so that's the last book I read and um and I, I was I was in the middle of uh, becoming from Michelle Obama I love that book <laughs> And I was like, oh my God, I need, I need to learn so many things about this country. Um, so I haven't finished, but I am enjoying that book as well. Yeah, it's a good one. Um, and then who or what has been inspiring to you recently? Huh, recently. So um, there is this founder. Her name is Susanna Welford. She is a founder of a nonprofit called um, Browning Start. And she is training young uh, girls and, and women to be to run for office in the future and the reason why I admire her so much is because I I saw my path in her in, in hers and I remember speaking with her when I felt kind of lost with the foundation and when she told me her story I was like oh, have faith <laughs> you can do this yeah. so, and she's doing a beautiful work and I I collaborated with her in the summer and she helped me with a training last year for, for Hispanic immigrants to become, to run for office. And I think it's so important what she's doing and, and the, her soul, her, her soul is just mm-hmm. beautiful. So I, I really like her. Yeah. Sounds like an amazing organization. I'll have to check that out. And, um, do you have another organization that you'd like to share about? Oh, yes. So, um, there are two that I'm particularly fascinated with. So one of them is Girl Up, which is, uh, it's more about an initiative that it's under the umbrella of the United Nations Foundation. And uh, once again, they are working with young girls because you need to invest in the future and youth is the future. Uh, with the difference that they are like around the world, giving them the tools to become advocates for gender equality. And I think that's beautiful because they are not only uh, respecting their context, but also giving them the opportunity to develop their own agenda and just like supporting their path. So I think that's extremely powerful, especially if you do it around the world in a consistent way. And I understand like they have been doing that for almost 10 years now. 
And um, the other organization that I really like is the Latina Institute for Reproductive Health. And I think it's actually very nice as well because instead of focusing on women, uh, on young girls, they're focusing on immigrants, on, on, on Latinas, uh, to advance the sexual and reproductive justice agenda in the United States. So um, those are my my new discoveries this year and and I really love what they're doing. And then what is your one message to send to the world? Let's discover the, the world together. Let's continue learning from each other and allows ourselves to to reflect on what's going on around ourselves and to take action. I think I think we need to go back to to our humanity. Uh, and for that, we need to actually meet and speak about these things and, and just be present and be human and be connected again. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gabby Rodriguez. You can continue to follow all the work that Gabby is doing with the Amazona Foundation at Amazona Foundation on Instagram or at AmazonaFoundation.com. You can also follow the Illuminate podcast at Illuminate underscore pod on Twitter or at the Illuminate podcast on Instagram. And if you're looking to add more podcasts to your feed, don't forget to check out the other podcasts in the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network. We have two running based podcasts. I'll have another with Lindsay Hine and the up and running podcast. And then we have a parenting podcast also hosted by Lindsay called the why is everyone yelling podcast. And then our latest addition to the Sandy Boy Productions podcast network is the Urban Pharmacy. This is all about healthy, plant-based, and low-tox living. All right, that's all I've got for today. So I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gabby Rodriguez, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your week.